0: One does not necessarily allow the state to define what is legal. Now, the state has the power to enforce a certain concept of what is legal, but power doesn't imply justice or correctness even. So the state may define something as civil disobedience and may be wrong in doing so.
1: Throughout American history, the political leaders have always exhorted the American people to be nice and quiet and leave things to them. But when very serious evils confronted the American people, they had to go beyond the congressmen and the senators, and they had to commit civil disobedience, and they had even to break the law. 30
0: seconds and counting. This is News Coup, a Public Herald production where we set the record straight on what's in the news. I'm your host, Joshua Perbanek, editor-in-chief at Public Herald. And today on the show, we're going to be interviewing Pittsburgh's freshman state representative, Sarah Inamorato, who's drafting a bill to regulate T-norm, which is the technically enhanced radioactive material from fracking waste. She's drafting this bill in response to Public Herald's August 2019 investigation, which unveiled how a regulatory loophole turns radioactive fracking waste dumped at landfills into landfill leachate which is then sent to sewage treatment plants to be discharged to public waters. Fracking waste contains high levels of radionuclides, known as TNORM, which are water-soluble and cannot be treated or removed by sewage plants. Representative Inamorado told Public Herald that there's still a lot of work to be done before this effort becomes a bill, but she's confident her office will produce something with teeth. Inamorato's leachate memorandum was released in September and currently has 17 co-sponsors. This bill would be the first of its kind, which will try to regulate the T-norm that's been coming out of fracking waste, which up to this day has been largely ignored, unregulated, not tested, uh, and because of all that, as you saw in our 2019 report, it's getting into the public waterways through these sewage plants. people have been asking, you know, is this is this real? Is this actually happening? And yes, we have radioactive waste from fracking flowing into the waterways. Not only is this a reality for the 15 sewage sites that we have mapped in the report, but states across the country whose landfills are accepting shale waste from fracking and discharging leachate to sewage plants are undergoing the same pollution to waterways. Now, this is a big issue for any of the shale play states. North Dakota has been trying to wrap its head around its T-norm problem for the last year now. Uh, They've produced so much of this waste that they're trying to ship it to Montana. So now we have Montana, who's looking to change their regulations for T-norm. In 2016, the DEP did one of the first T-norm studies in the country with fracking that found these radionuclides in the entire cradle to grave life cycle of the industry. Uh, But these findings were largely and successfully buried and news organizations and NGOs alike all echoed DEP's press release on this, which said that there's little potential for radiation exposure from oil and gas development. However, Public Herald recently analyzed their study and found the department's press release excluded serious environmental health and safety discoveries. Every landfill DEP tested in their study, who accepted fracking T-norm, found radiation in their leachate. In one location, radium-226 was detected in landfill leachate at 378 picocuries per liter. The safe drinking water level set by the EPA is five picocuries per liter. In their study, at at certain places, at certain CWTs, they found radium-226 at 100 times greater than the EPA's concentration limit for uranium at mill tailings, and that is at five picocuries per gram. The DEP study results should have triggered a statewide moratorium on the transport, treatment, and disposal of TNORM from fracking. So why didn't it? Now, these exceedingly high levels of radium-226 were discovered throughout the study, but largely undisclosed by the department to the public. So the big question is, can state regulations stop T-norm? Now, the EPA does say that with states, they can adopt T-norm regulations that apply to water treatment facilities where they place limits on the radionuclide discharge requirements on a wastewater treatment plant. Now, for landfills, there's no federal requirement to test radionuclide concentrations in solid waste prior to disposal. However, there are restrictions on the transport of that waste that exceeds certain radioactivity thresholds, and states and disposal facilities may have requirements for testing or disposal of T-norm. Now, the landfills who have been accepting this T-norm the whole time, they can accept non-hazardous solids of this stuff at each landfill. But generally, that means wastes that are containing less than 3 picocuries of, per gram of radium. And in the DEP study, the levels that these landfills would be accepting would in most cases be far above 3 picocuries per gram. So if the DEP study is correct, and the current levels of radionuclides being sent to landfills is in violation of the federal standards, and they should be rejected for relocation to one of six facilities in the country who are capable of handling this kind of low level radioactive waste. And for those who want to stay updated on this issue of radiation and fracking, Public Herald will be covering this extensively in 2020, so you can follow our work there. You can subscribe to us through our website, and you can subscribe to this NewsCoup podcast uh, on any of the channels that you listen to. We are a publicly funded program, so any donations to Public Herald would help go to further the production of this work, and we appreciate any and all support that's come to us to this day. Uh, You've made it possible for us to do this work in 2019, and we hope to continue to provide you with groundbreaking stories as the new year comes underway. Today, we have Representative Sarah Inamorato from Pittsburgh, who has read the Public Herald Report And is going to be doing something about the radioactivity involved. So, Sarah, thank you for coming on News
1: Sure. Thanks for having me.
0: So how did the public Herald report uh, play into what you're doing right now with this issue?
1: I would say without it, I wouldn't have known that it's an issue, especially when you're a first-year state representative. You have a lot that's thrown at you both having to learn, learn how to navigate the systems, and then from a policy perspective, everything is so deeply interconnected. So you're kind of scrambling and learning. And um, that was something that I read that really stopped me in my tracks of just such a clear example of an injustice that is happening right under our nose. And if you would ask any citizen, like whose responsibility Is it to make sure that when industry comes to our commonwealth and they operate in our neighborhoods, whose responsibility is it to make sure that they are not poisoning the citizens? And you would say, well, it's government. It's the Department of Environmental Protection. And when you realize that they are supremely failing in that role, um, that's something where you're like, this is clearly the role of government to step in and to make sure that these things are uh, these wrongs are righted. And that no radioactive material ends up in our public waterways and ends up, therefore, in our in our families and our in ourselves.
0: You're one of the newer elected representatives. Yeah, I'm a baby rep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you think that the issue of radiation and fracking was going to be part of the beginning <laughs> of your your adventure here?
1: Um, not specifically in this in this role. Um or through this lens, through, through the waste lens and through the radioactive lens. I represent Pittsburgh and parts of Northern Allegheny County and it's no secret that our air quality gets an F rating every year. And I've worked in the environmental nonprofit space for a number of years before I decided to run for office. So I thought that I would be more focused on air quality and a big part of addressing air quality is addressing uh, industry regulations. So I thought I would be looking at it more from that sense and and not even realizing that as part of this process, there is radioactive material that is pulled from the ground. And we have not thought strategically about how we handle the life cycle of this fuel that we are producing that's powering our homes and that's fueling a downstream industry to manufacture plastics. And I thought... I'm just, you know, I'm just a baby rep. Of course, clearly, this has been operating for more than a decade in our Commonwealth. Someone must have thought of this. <laughs> right? Someone <Yeah>. must have, <laughs> have have had this handled. And I think, you know, so I was I was surprised and terrified and saying, like, well, if, if no one else is taking on this battle, this is something that impacts us all because when we talk about water quality, when we talk about air those things know no district boundaries. They're not about our county. They're not about our neighborhood or the district number that we represent. It impacts every single one of us. And so it's not just, the onus is not just on the representative who has the industry operating in their their district lines. This is something that impacts us all. So it's something that I feel right to take up.
0: I... It sounds like that you had the same kind of alarm and shock as quite a few people that we've talked to, both uh, in the colleges, um, people who've been in this for a long time, and you know even ourselves. I mean, we've always understood things to be pretty bad, but you know when it gets to the point that we're just actively, annually discharging uh, radioactive material via leachate into the streams across Pennsylvania, um, I don't know how much more worse uh, we can get. Mm -hmm. in terms of regulatory shortfalls and misconduct in the state. So we talked about this, you know, recently with uh, some professors down here in Pittsburgh who had read the report, and they were all under the impression that it had stopped at the rest of the 14 facilities that we mentioned in the report. You know, we we outlined 15 uh, where this leachate's absolutely going. We say that there's more out there who are definitely doing it. We know that Wayne Township Landfill in Pennsylvania is discharging leachate somewhere. Uh, we have an, uh, an assumption of where that might be, but that that's going on. The Keystone Landfill, which is in the northeast part of the state, which we didn't have on our radar because when we asked DEP, we asked them the question, you know, who is discharging this unconventional drilling waste leachate uh, via the sewage plants across the state? And the DEP came up with those you know, 15 sewage plants, you know, with uh, Williamsport being added to that, but Williamsport actually not receiving leachate. They received effluent from Eureka Resources, who treats fracking wastewater. What the DEP didn't include was this Keystone landfill, which is this massive landfill in the northeastern part of the state, who is also having to take care of their leachate in some way. So the odd thing was, is that, you know, when we brought this up recently with professors, they thought that Uh, due to that report, that the issue had been resolved, that there had been something done about it. But that's not the case. Uh, We're not seeing anything being done about it. The DEP has been completely quiet on it until a couple weeks ago where they asked for public comment, asking for a revision to how this stuff is tested and looked at in the landfills and the sewage plants, almost in a way putting the onus of responsibility entirely on the landfills, entirely on the sewage plants, if they discharge radioactive leachate. But it's you're doing something about it, aren't you? And and what is it that you're doing?
1: So I think I think you, you bring up a great point in that our regulatory environment and as it exists is is backwards. We issue permits that allow for communities to be impacted by industry. And then the onus is on the community to prove that they're being poisoned or harmed by industry instead of the industry owning the process and saying like, no, the, what we're going to do, the chemicals we're going to use in our process, they're they're safe and they're gonna do no harm to the region that we operate in and no harm to the citizens. So we're trying to look, <laughs> you know, what outside of blowing up that whole process and saying, how do we change it? Um, we are looking at just targeting this specific issue that was raised in um, the Public Herald report, and saying how do we edit our um, our statute, the Title 58 that manages all the regulations for oil and gas in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and you know how do we make sure that th- that zero radioactive matter makes it into our, our public space and our public waterways. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the goal. It's, it seems like such a, a simple kind of straightforward thing, but it's going to be a very heavy political lift and it's going to take a lot of, um, you know, this writing, the legislation is just one piece of it. Then, and there's going to be this whole other strategy that's going to involve the public becoming aware of it, getting that message out, and making sure that they're contacting the people who represent them to bring this bill up for consideration.
0: So you're drafting a bill that says, we don't want any more radioactive material from the fracking industry to enter the waterways via the sewage plants through this landfill, H8. We want that loophole shut down.
1: That's the plan.
0: And what's been the response to that? I mean, how are people reacting to it when you're talking to them?
1: Well, we're, we're in the, f- the first phase. Um, So in Pennsylvania, what you have to do first is write a co-sponsorship memo. So that circulates um, and that doesn't necessarily have the statute um, attached to it. So when I talk to my colleagues about it, they're kind of shocked and appalled that this happens. And they're like, well, this isn't a real issue. And I was like, it is a real issue. Uh, So, you know, it's getting some traction in that sense. And now um, what we're doing is using a a co-governing process where we're working with the experts, the folks, the scientists, the doctors, the people who understand this environment and can come around the table and collectively write this legislation. So we make sure that all our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed. And we're not just putting something out that actually isn't going to have any teeth and not hold um, the DEP and these industries accountable.
0: You recently got to see um, an area where fracking is taking place in in Washington County.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What was that experience like for you? You know, knowing what you know now,
1: it was really eye-opening. I I live in the city. I I choose to live in the city. I like this environment. And I think when folks move out to places like Washington County and more rural areas, they go for the quiet. And when the first thing they kind of took me aback when I was going on this tour was just how prevalent it was. You couldn't look in any direction and not see a well pad. And the way that the topography works with the ridges and the valleys and where everything is drilled, just the, um, the direct impact on the quality of life of the people who are forced to live in the shadows of this industry and I mean whether you agree with I'm sure every all the listeners agree that there is a negative public health impact on um on this industry on the individuals who live near um, this industry but there's a—I uh, I mean just the the light pollution the noise pollution and um just that that direct impact on on people's people's lives and the complete and utter disruption of, of their lives and may potentially the very reason why they moved to that area. And where are they going to go? It's either they've lived there the whole lives. That's where their social connections are. That's where their family is. Or who would want to pro- who would want to buy their property, right? Living in the shadows of these facilities. And we've just, people are stuck. What are they supposed to do? Um, and someone who was going on the the tour with me, someone from, um, Earthworks, uh, she was recalling a time where she would, she went to an oil and gas industry conference and they had a whole panel on how to operate in previously exploited areas. So this the Pennsylvania especially southwestern PA we have a, hist- a rich history of being used by industry whether it was steel here in the city or coal out in the more rural areas we have a history of being exploited and taken advantage of from industry and you just kind of see it happening again and it's very intentional that's not it's not by accident that these industries are coming coming here and wanting to set up shop. It's because, you know, they've done it before and they will continue to do it unless we demand um, another future.
0: And a couple things there is, you know, a lot of this has been manufactured by the state. Uh, we have the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection uh, who, as you said, is issuing these permits. Uh, they're overseeing the safety of these operations. Um, they're the ones that are creating this kind of loophole uh, for the industry to take fracking wastewater, take fracking waste, put it into a landfill, have it magically transition into leachate, and therefore it's no longer fracking waste, and now it's okay to send to a sewage plant. So what's your what's your thoughts and response with regards to the Department of Environmental Protection, since this is an agency that's generally the the turning point for people who are are facing these risks.
1: I mean they're not doing not doing their job. If you would pull anyone off the street and say, what do you think the Department of Environmental Protection is supposed to do for you and your family? They would say, Well protect me, protect the environment and protect me from any hazards of industry. And that's not what they're doing. And yeah, I mean that's that's a whole <laughs> That's a whole thing that needs to change.
0: If we just look at the one instance in the report, you know, we talk about the Bell Vernon case with Guy Krupa, and here he is trying to work with the department to solve the problem, to fix the problem, uh, and local officials. And in the end, the decision is made by the department that, well, we're just going to allow the leachate to continue to be pumped Mm -hmm. into the Managahela River, but we're going to find the landfill and make them give us penalty money on a regular basis, and that'll just go on you know, in perpetuity for however long. And and Guy's standing there beside himself. He, he's saying, what are you guys talking about? I just told you this stuff is shutting down my sewage plant. In addition to that, I told you that I had it tested for radiation. It's filled with radioactive material. I can't treat the radioactive material in a sewage plant. It's going in the stream. And now you're telling me you want me to pump this into the public waterway, into the public good every single day and be okay with that? Our answer has been to this that people should, should try to contact somebody. Contact the, the DA, your district attorney. Tell them what's going on and see if something can get done. Contact the Attorney General, Josh Shapiro. Pressure their office to do something about it. And that has had, you know, had some results you know where we have the Attorney General in response to hundreds of people calling their office. We have the Attorney General at least putting DEP on a grand jury, uh, making them talk about this, we're gonna see where that goes in the end and whether they're actually held accountable. You know, we have the attorney general looking at the sewage leachate problem. So there's a potential that he's going where we're going, you know, to all these different plants and trying to find out what's going on and building a case around that. But in the meantime, people are swimming, people are recreating, people are in the rivers. And what, I mean, what is it that, you know, we tell them at that point?
1: That government failed you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's the, if you want to zoom out and talk about the political landscape is a lot of our problems we have traces back to citizens not trusting their government and we haven't given them a reason to trust in these agencies and in our governing bodies. And, um, you know, part of this process is trying to restore that trust You know, we focused a lot on the DEP, but we also have to look at our General Assembly in the state. We've starved the DEP of resources. We've gone down this path of austerity that we've been on for the last few decades of just stripping financial resources from all these regulatory agencies that are supposed to be there to protect the public good. And when they don't work and when they fail, we look at it and say, Look, it doesn't work.
0: That's true it but failed. In the Guy Krupa situation, you know, we're looking at where they have those resources available to them. And their decision is, no, we're, we'll just we'll just let it keep going. It's fine.
1: I mean, yes. Yes, that's and where, that's us, a, that is like, that is a bad actor it's like in the like the waiting DEP. Scott Perry. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: have your resources here.
1: Yeah, I think we have to look at who, you know, in in leadership in the um, the DEP, but not everyone who goes and works at the DEP is some oil and gas pawn. Like a lot yeah. of them are people who want to do the right thing, who want to work in an agency where they protect the public health and the public good and the environment. So Absolutely. you know, the, the, the point of all of this too is not saying that the DEP shouldn't exist, but rather we need to make sure that it is an independent body, one that is not for sale by industry and one that is actually fully funded and being able to have enough people on the ground to be able to um, monitor this and make sure that they're, um, that permits are being abided by, which is its whole other thing, but. Yeah,
0: this might go back to, I had a conversation with the former DEP attorney when they were DER uh, and when they first started and he was involved with the writing of the clean stream laws and, and things like that back in the day. And I asked him, I'm like, you know, what happened uh, at the DEP? You know, it seemed like you guys were pretty aggressive and you were trying to make a difference in this state and make sure that the environment was first, you know, in these mm-hmm. decisions and the industry, you know, had to be accountable to that. Um, and he just said that, you know, over the years – this was Bob Ging, who was just a tremendous attorney in this state, probably the best environmental attorney who, who's practiced in the state. Uh, he just said, you know, people just seem to lose the fire in their belly. You know, they, they got slowed down, uh, and they just kind of um, – it's not that they got, they got lazier, but the, just the system became more and more corroded and more and more uh, stripped of its mission – and eventually, you know, it just became like an economic wheel of the industry and a firewall between uh, them and and the elected officials.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he just said that, you know, it was this thing that started off with a lot of drive, with a lot of ambition, and things were getting done. And then, unfortunately, it just started to kind of unravel after that.
1: Yeah, I think about uh, the book Amity and Prosperity and – you know, in that Eliza Griswold talks a lot about how the DEP agents kind of go back and forth between, well, not back and forth, but rather from the DEP to jobs in oil and gas in the private sector, where they they make significantly more money. And
0: Crancer yeah, uh, would be a perfect example of that. Yeah, well, yeah. former secretary.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't. We have to make sure that these. um, that these agencies remain independent and tied to the public good. Um, You know, I think the work that you're doing with the Public Herald, the work that I'm doing, the the doctors, the scientists, the families who lost children um, to unknown circumstances or unknown causes of rare cancers, um, they have nothing to gain by pursuing this. They're not going to get rich by trying to take on this behemoth industry that is producing toxic and radioactive matter and and disposing of it like it was any other sort of waste and harmless to the community. We don't have anything. to. We don't have it. We're not going to make profits from that. We're not going to get rich. And like we're only doing this because we know that it is it is right that what is happening is currently unjust and unfair, and that we want to, you know, we want to do something about it so that we can actually secure a vibrant and <laughs> a vibrant future for um, for our kids and for future generations. Like, we need that kind of motivation again to exist in the public sector, and it's really hard to do that um, when the pressure to conform once you're elected is is there. It's there from your colleagues. It's there from the fact that it requires so much money to run for office. It's there um, because when you get to Harrisburg, they say that there's 203 reps and there are at least 203 registered oil and gas lobbyists who are there meeting with you, feeding you information. You know, In the, the public, these communities, these families who have lost kids, the, the doctors, the scientists, the groups doing this research, they don't have lobbyists. They don't have money to throw at um, putting someone into a government affairs position. They're you know they're working they're they're doing it because of the passion and the drive that they have um, to solve these problems. You know, there's just there's a lot. there's a lot that's that's happening there, yeah.
0: And could you tell? I don't
1: know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm essentially, I don't know what we do about it. But, <laughs> but a lot are, of it is, yeah, yeah. is structural, and the way that we operate.
0: And you are doing something. I mean, you I mean you've taken on just going after this bill, which is the first of its kind that I know of in the state that's ever ever been attempted. We've been trying to raise the issue of radiation from 2011 to 13. It's in the documentary Triple Divide. We talk about it being buried illegally in people's backyards. Um, Through these pits, we talk about it getting into people's water supply, people uh, breathing it in, uh, having the radon that's associated with the radiation. might only have a three-day half-life, but it's not going anywhere. You're going to have it every single day coming out of the the waste, you know, coming into people's showers, people getting exposed to it. There's been, you know, a a debate about the idea that the radiation won't be harmful to you if you're in the water because uh, your skin will block it. Uh, from getting into your body, but then there's this, you know, idea of dermal absorption, which is another wave of health studies that show that the radium and other things can enter the body through cracks in the skin and things like that, and, and pose a problem in the future. So we've been trying to go after this for uh, years now, um, and you're, you know, the first elected official that we know. Who's try to grab it and and do something about it, uh, and that's extraordinary. And I think that ties in with your story of, of of how you got elected. So maybe you could tell us about that. Like how did how did you get into office in the first place? How old you're not? How old are you? Thirty-three. Thirty-three. So you've yeah. got to be one of the younger. Or when reps. I was
1: knocking doors, I would tell people when they would ask me how old I was, I'd say one year younger than Connor Lamb. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I can guarantee so he did not get asked. <laughs> that's how straight, old he was. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So I would. I. I am what you call a, a non-traditional politician or candidate. Um, I decided to run because. I was working in the nonprofit sector, and I saw more and more that's who we're relying on to solve the failures of the public sector instead of actually in investing in it. Um, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. I lived, you know, grew up ten miles away from from where we're at right now. I'm a I'm a lifer, and you know, I decided to step into the political arena, um, not because I, I was bred to do so, but because, you know, I had this lived experience of, of losing my dad to an opioid addiction and being in the nonprofit sector and seeing, um, seeing how the system is failing people over and over again and how, you know, a million dollar grant is not going to solve poverty. And, um, you know i think when we have people who are have experienced the kind of pain and trauma that exists in just trying to survive being an american as it is today those should be the people who are writing policies those are those should be the people at the table and saying i have a voice i have an experience that is valuable when we're writing legislation that's what needs to be centered um, in the process. So, you know, that's, that's why I ran and that's, you know, it's being an elected representative is infinitely frustrating. It's extremely hostile in, in Harrisburg and in trying to get any sort of meaningful, uh, meaningful legislation that's going to result in people centered structural change passed. But what we have complete autonomy over is how we conduct ourselves in our district office. You know, you can, you can be accessible. You can hear people out. Movements require people. So if you aren't being out in the community and meeting people where they're at, whether it's ideologically or physically, um, you're not going to bring people into the fold and into, into the vision that you're trying to build. And we've also approached the way that we're writing legislation. I mentioned before with what we're doing with the leach loophole bill is we're bringing people around the table who are the experts out in the community. We can build co-governing tables around the, the biggest issues that we're facing and make sure that it's not just a top-down approach from you know the powers that be, but rather a bottom-up, a grassroots approach that we're bringing a diversity of opinions and voices and lived experiences to every piece of legislation that we're putting out into the world and that is i think a really special way special and unique right now but hopefully is something that's going to change as as the face of leadership changes in our state
0: the solutions that you're speaking about i mean it sounds like uh you know these are really grassroots solutions that are that are going to happen through a lot of collaboration and a lot of work that isn't necessarily funded by special interests but Will likely be the result, you know, where a bill will eventually be the change that needs to be made to fix the problem. Do you see room in these situations? Because this is not simply a Pennsylvania problem. Uh, we're seeing this happening in Ohio, New York, California. People have reached out to us from West Virginia, uh, Colorado, many different states where they they're they're suffering the same thing that we wrote about but we, you know we just don't have the resources to go investigate their states right now do you see opportunity for market solutions in any of that where the industry might be the answer to some of these problems
1: no no industry exists to generate profits for their shareholders that's what they're that's what they're designed to do that's the system of capital american capitalism that we live under it's the government's job, it's the public sector's job to say, we are here to protect our shared commons. Industry is is never going to do, quote, the right thing. That's why the public sector exists, to be, to be the buffer between the citizenry and the interests of the private corporation. And there should all, always, always be a healthy tension between private industry and the public sector. It just... it's the way it it exists. It doesn't mean that the public sector and the private sector can't come together and come up with a solution, um, but it should never be at the expense of the citizenry that elected that person to a governing body.
0: Do you think that we're looking at market solutions right now? That That this is something that's been created by the market and not something necessarily created by the state?
1: I think in a lot of um, a lot of the environmental solutions that are being proposed are market-based, and I don't, you know, I don't I don't believe in speaking in absolutes, except when it comes to radiation getting into our water. Because <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> because it is an absolute. That <laughs> um, is an absolute scenario. But there, you know, there there could be opportunity where a market solution could work in a certain s- scenario. But right now, in the climate crisis that we're facing, you know, that maybe would have been a good idea 20 years ago. But it's, you know, we we kind of need to act in more drastic ways. This issue that's in front of us right now, it's it's not like, oh, well, we'll get rid of we'll stop putting radioactive material in our waterways in 10 years. If you go ask the people who live around that area, they don't want it in there yesterday. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they went and stopped as as quickly as possible. Um, So when we rely on market-based solutions, we tend to, you know, it tends to be uh, a longer, more gradual approach, which again, can work for certain things, but we as a public are gonna deal with the legacy costs of this industry. And we don't even know what those costs are gonna be. So when we talk about regulation is gonna kill industry, what we need to be talking about is like, what is industry going to cost us 10 years down the road? What is gonna, What is it gonna cost future generations? We're dealing with that now with the coal industry and having to clean up what was left behind because we, while other, you know, the heads of industry got, made millions and millions and millions, got to retire, you know, maybe set up a their own ph- um, philanthropic endeavor with all the millions that they were able to amass. And our communities are paying the price both in with their health, um, with their well-being, and also with our public dollars that could be going towards schools, infrastructure, healthcare, and everything else that people are expecting the public sector to provide.
0: Yeah, and the industry has been so careful in erasing their legacy behind this radiation issue. They've made it possible to eliminate themselves from RECRA. So no longer do they have to label this as hazardous waste. Um, They've made it possible to prevent the radioactive material from being tested within a permit. So if you're going to get a permit to discharge out of a facility through the EPA or the DEP... Uh, It's not going to require you to test for radiation, even though the industry is going to say that everything that comes in and everything that goes out is safe and we test for it. Well, unfortunately, in those cases, no one's testing for radiation. So we don't have test results from the sewage facilities for radiation. We don't have test results from the landfill leachate for radiation. And this was all carefully created, manufactured by industry to essentially erase their legacy, and then just shove it into our own, where, as you say, now the public will have to pay for the cleanup of what we find, which we're going to find something. We're going to find these problems out there. Mm-hmm. And now, not not only do we have to address stopping it from being discharged, but we have to go and find out where we need to take it out and dispose of it properly. So it's, it's, it's just a, a, a huge like mess that has been just kept under the radar for a while now that you get to just walk right into. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good for what you. a
1: treat. <laughs> you know, we we're always like whenever we want to propose something that can can do good for a community, uh it's like it's always how are you gonna pay for it? And we need to be asking that question now, how are we gonna pay for um this waste to be um, just put out into our environment. How are we going to pay for the the legacy issues? How are we going to pay for the cleanup? How are we going to pay for the unknown health consequences that are going to occur?
0: Do you think that will get industry to pay?
1: I have little faith in the way that the system is constructed right now that industry will be forced to pay the full cost of operating but we'll change that. <laughs> awesome. Hopefully.
0: And I'm sure that there are people listening to this really wanting to know how they can help and what they can do. So, across the state, I mean, what is it that people can do uh, to support you in this process?
1: Well, I think, you know, first, do your homework, find out who represents you. Um, that information is available with a quick Google search. Um, there is a website you can go to. I'm sure you can put that, yeah, you can link to it. You can type in your address, you can find (laughs) out who represents you. Um, That's number one. And then once you know who represents you, tell them what's important to you. Tell them that this issue um, is something that you want them to address. And you can send the form letters. Uh, They tend to go into a giant folder in a, a staff member's email. Um, But what really works is scheduling a time to meet with them, making a phone call, writing a personal email or personal letter, um, you know, talking about who you are and why this issue matters to you, Um, because those do change hearts and minds. And that actually gives me um, cover and something to point to when I go talk to my colleagues. I'm like, well, this is your the people that you represent who are asking for this as well. So, you know, that's, that's really the best way to be involved and help to kind of grease the wheels to make sure that this can start moving um, in Harrisburg, but it also gets elevated in the public consciousness because it is something that is extremely unjust and something that, you know, quite frankly, could pretty easily, easily fix. <laughs>
0: And would those um, people be needing, would they need to ask their rep to be co sponsoring something or how, how would that work?
1: We're still working on the bill language, um, but there's, there is a co sponsorship memo out. So when you talk about this issue, you can talk about uh, Rep Enamorado's co sponsorship memo that she has out about the closing the leachate loophole.
0: And to save them uh, Googling your information, how would they contact you?
1: I'm available by email or phone. Well, you can also contact me on Twitter. So I'm at uh, inamo i n n a m o. I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Sarah Inamorato. and our email address is uh, rep at pahouse.net. the The other thing that that moves moves policy um, is the humanization of it, and the only way that we humanize um, statute is through personal stories. So if it's something that has impacted you, your family, your community, we need to hear about it. We need to hear your story because that is an extremely powerful and necessary tool that is going to move the needle on this issue.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I wanted to bring that up that uh, you know Public Herald will be following up on this story for the next year. So anybody who has something to share, Uh, With regards to their sewage plant or their landfill, uh, where they've seen this kind of activity going on, they can reach out to us. They can reach out to my email, which is joshua at publicherald.org or my phone number, which is 419-202-8503. You can find find us on Twitter at Public Herald. Um, And email is usually best for us. It's always a great way to get in touch. Uh, The report that we're referencing here is publicherald.org slash leachate. Uh, That published in August, and it has a map of all of the facilities that were identified by the DEP uh, that are receiving leachate from landfills that are holding unconventional drilling waste and therefore uh, would be releasing some sort of radioactive material into those waterways. You can read that report and find out if you're near there and if your story matches up with that. And if it does, please contact us. There's going to be uh, quite a few people coming on for this in 2020. There's um, Justin Noble from Rolling Stone, who's one of the few people I know who really have a hold of the radiation issue. Uh, Rolling Stone's going to be putting out a report in January or February with Justin that covers this as a whole across the country and beyond. Uh, he's also going to be publishing a book on radiation, so definitely follow Justin Noble on Twitter to stay up to date on what's going on there. And if you want to donate to our work, you can always find us at publicherald.org slash donate so that we can do more for all of our readers out there.
1: Yes, it helps. It helps change the law. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but Sarah, you're such a great resource and it's so inspiring to hear that you're going to take this on for the public who I'm sure are desperate uh, to hear from somebody like you.
1: Great. Thank so, you so much.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for all your work. Absolutely. All right, well, this has been uh, News Coup. I'm your host, Joshua Perbanek, and we will catch you next time. NewsCoup is a production of Public Herald Studios. It is produced by myself, Joshua Perbanek, and our team at Public Herald. I want to personally thank the people who've already reached out to us and who've shared a lot of records and support and information that the state didn't provide to us about their landfills, their sewage facilities. All of that has been instrumental in guiding our work and helping us to build a stronger and clearer story about what's happening with this picture of radiation across this state and across the country itself. So thank you for your support, and we will catch you on the next show.